Hello, and welcome to Tales from the Ruther Library, a podcast coming straight from the Walter P. Ruther Library of Wayne State University in the heart of Detroit, Michigan. Uh, my name is Dan Galadner, and I'm here with Troy Eller English. Say hello, Troy. Hello. Uh, we are about to uh, launch into another podcast to all you lovely listeners. We are talking today with Sarah Lebowitz. She is our basically a new hire, and she's responsible for the SEIU archives here at the Ruther Library. Um, Troy, Dan. we started talking. All right, first we started talking about the SEIU collection, and so this subject highlights. So all you researchers, we have a great collection of SEIU stuff, a lot of photos, uh, as Sarah tells us. But uh, then we started getting into a little geek archival world, didn't we? We sure did. Yeah, so... It was um, beautiful. So, you know, why don't you listen to it and understand exactly what we do here? And I think it's unique that we do here at the Ruther than other archives. Now, I could be wrong, and I'm sure I'm definitely wrong in the past 10 years. Archival now documenting has been really on the uptick since, I would say, since um, um, since the Wall Street uprisings and Black Lives Matter. More archivists are now more aware of social justice and documenting the now. So, so some of the things we do at the Ruther is talk to a lot of like organizers, directors of departments, presidents of locals. Uh, Troy, you talk to people and staff all the time. And one of the kind of the things that we do come across and what we talk about in this podcast is telling people what you're doing now is important. And it's important not only for the movement, it's not only important for uh, society itself, but it's trying to convince people like what you're doing is important. We want your stuff. We want all of it. Well, not all of it. We don't want all of it. We want some of it. <laughs> and talk to us. Um, so that's that's part of the conversation we had. So um, an interesting delve into the archival world of documenting the now. Anyway, enjoy this podcast. Thank you very much. <laughs> Hi, Sarah. Hi, Dan. Sarah is our new archivist here at the Walter P. Ruther Library. We're very glad to have you here on staff. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Who are you and where'd you come from and what are you doing here? Today's actually my seven-month anniversary of working here. Really? Seven, it's only been seven months? It's only been seven months. Seems a lot longer. That's what everybody <laughs> has been saying, and I'm not... I will take it as a compliment. Good. Um, who am I? Where did I come from? What am I doing here? I'm from Cleveland area. Uh, that's where I grew up. So Detroit and Michigan are basically very familiar and a similar place. Uh, let's see. I went to... Colorado College for my undergraduate degree in anthropology. So I'm curious about people. I like knowing why they do the things they do and what impacts them um, from a societal and cultural standpoint. I got my master's at University of Michigan School of Information in archives and records management, mm -hmm. uh, which we refer to as ARM. You could... Hold up your muscles and say, yeah, I'm in the arm side of the program. Did you guys do that a lot? No, it okay, never took off. So. I didn't think so. I tried, but okay. it was very unpopular. So what do you do here? Um, I am the archivist for SEIU, which means that I collect 
and maintain their records of enduring historical value. That means stuff from the uh, International Executive Board. That means stuff from locals. Um, it means basically anything that they are working toward and are passionate about. That's the kind of thing that I want to be able to keep, describe, and make accessible to people who are interested, whether that's, I mean, it could be anybody, researchers, students, SCIU members, uh, yeah, anyone and everyone. So that's my main job is getting this material, making it accessible, also finding new ways to relay it to people in different forms that are cool. Right, absolutely. That's what we do nowadays. Yeah. Right, yeah. So, how, all right, what does the SAU collection look like? Is it uh, large? Is it small? Is there a lot of audiovisual? Stuff like that. So it's a lot of boxes. There is audiovisual material. We've got a really great photograph collection that's very large. It spans from the 1920s to pretty much now. We've got a lot of good coverage on multiple union locals. Plenty of like organized marches, things like that. That's excellent. Yeah. So, so we have pictures going back to the twenties. Yeah. They were founded in nineteen twenty, right? Nineteen twenty one. Twenty one. Yeah. Cool. So there's SEAU is since around nineteen twenty one. It has a deep history. Yes. But really came into above the fold sixties and seventies, eighties, right? So one of the first things that we all know about is nine two five, right? Yes. What can you tell us about nine two five and what kind of materials we have here at the uh, the Ruther? Uh, so nine two five started in the nineteen seventies. Um, it was not yet affiliated or associated with SEIU. It was kind of under this umbrella of uh, National Association of Women Workers, and then it came under SEIU like nineteen seventy five ish. So incepted in the earlier nineteen seventies, uh, clerical workers, and then brought under SEIU for stronger organizing and basically to just get advice on how to organize okay. effectively and get the message out. Uh, and it's, you know, scattered around in other collections, but we do have a 925 specific collection right. um, documenting definitely SEIU's interaction with 925, the creation of District 925, and kind of movement from there organizing in all of the different areas. So researchers coming looking at nine two five. I mean, they could they, what would they find the information on the dangers with uh, video monitors that nine two five exposed and stuff like that. Most likely, I mean, there are also a ton of oral histories. Oh, with what kind of oral histories do we have? Pretty much everybody involved with the movement, uh, including Jane Fonda, <laughs> which I think is fantastic. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's a an interesting story because she and Karen Nosbaum, one of the founding originators of the 925 movement met and I think uh, anti-Vietnam War protests as opposed to like through 925. Mm -hmm. So she had already known Karen and then wanted to make a movie out of the movement. As we all know. As we all know. And Dolly still plays that song. Yes. <laughs> um, there is in one of the oral histories, uh, I think she talks about how she was interested in making this story and brought someone involved with making it, director, producer, to Cleveland to listen to and got a big group of nine to five women together to kind of talk about, you know, 
if you could do anything to your boss, what would you do? And they were just, you know, playing into the fantasy of if you can do anything, what would you do? Um, So. Nice. They got it. They pulled it from actual people. Yeah, right, right. And, you know, we're actually wanted to capture these voices as opposed to just saying, okay, well, we're separated from this, but. How can we still make a movie about it? She so was, that's where it was, that's why it was relatable to everybody. Yeah, yeah and exactly. they wanted to make it relatable because it's a working woman's story. Exactly, and that had not previously really been explored that much. Right. So there's there's the nine two five collection. Really, mm-hmm. that's excellent. Um, you've been only here for seven months, but you've been digging into your SEIU collection. You found some really cool things about the needle stick protocol. Why? Yes, I did, Dan. Uh, So in the 1980s, SEIU was concerned with a lot of different health risks related to its various members. And they did studies using uh, death reports that had been gathered previously on members and like what happened to them. And through that, they started figuring out that there were workplace issues that were impacting the health of their members, including needle stick injury which happens with healthcare workers. Hepatitis C was a big thing. Hepatitis B, incredibly dangerous. And there was nothing in place to protect healthcare workers from injuring themselves with needles and contracting bloodborne diseases. So in the 1980s, there was SEIU worked to gather evidence. And I mean, they did a lot of work on this to get needle stick protocol which is, you know, using clean needles, having a safe place to get rid of them. They have pamphlets and pamphlets and booklets on what to do if you get stuck with a needle. So they worked on that all through the 1980s. And then 1991 started seeing movement uh, in getting these protections for healthcare workers that, you know, they had to keep talking about throughout the 90s until 2000 early 2000s so people when they'd say like who are anti-union would say what do we need unions for right here's a perfect example mm-hmm. of why the unions were fighting for the the workers mm-hmm. on things that we weren't really paying attention to and brought to the forefront i mean sau in the 80s also worked on asbestos in right. school buildings and figuring out that their workers were somehow being exposed to asbestos and can you know having like negative health issues. See, here's also a cross collection thing. AFT has tons of that as well. Mm-hmm. well so a research Yeah, so a researcher comes here. They can look at SEIU collection mm-hmm. on this. They can look at the AFT collection. I'm sure the AFSME collection has materials on asbestos on their workers mm-hmm. in, in school buildings and areas. So once again, a great way to come to the Ruther Library and learn so much with all our wonderful big union collections, right? Yes. Exactly. Um SEIU has been very active for the past 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all know about Andy Stern. We all know about Fight for 15. And SEIU was very involved with Fight for 15. But we're getting those collections in right now. What kind of protections do you have on these collections? Do we open up right away or do we hold back a bit? What, 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 what do we do? So we have an agreement with SEIU that we will restrict things for 10 years after they are made. So let's say um, there's an organizing campaign that starts in 2015, and we collect a lot of material from that. That's going to have information about individual organizers that might be sensitive, um, about things that they're planning to do for the future that also, you know, 
if they're planning five years, we're still within that time period. So that's not great to have that information just out there. Uh, so we, we do. We restrict it for 10 years. If it came in 2015, it would be open to the public in 2025. That gives enough time uh, to have things kind of come full circle or to... Actually, I like to call it let allow history to percolate a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a good way of putting it. I mean, unions are working so hard with so many different people that 10 years from now, people working on one issue might not be the same as the people who are working on it currently right. um so there's no there's not as much danger of letting out names of people who need should be protected uh for the work that they're doing right exactly so we're protectors of the history yeah yeah hey i learned that in school one time <laughs> exactly but i mean even more than protectors of the history we're protectors of the people yeah who are in these documents they aren't just people from you know the 1920s who Things don't really matter as much to them anymore. Uh, they're people who are living now who can be affected by information. Exactly. What have you been up to lately to push the collection out? Um. So there's already an initiative to use Twitter to kind of give snapshots of what the archivist is working on or things that are related to something happening, current events. Um so that's part of it, is that doing very light social media to say, hey, here is a photo, here's some information on it. This is relevant to what is happening now because, you know, you see the same issues cropping up over the past 100 years, honestly. Uh, healthcare, minimum wage, um, making sure that workers are protected in one form or another. It's a recurring theme. So there will always be something from the past that connects with the present and also informs how it's being handled and also what changes could possibly come for the future. Right. right. So that's one of them. Uh, so one project I'm working on is actually figuring out how to uh, document different people on Twitter talking about SCIU uh, using different hashtags and using different accounts. Um, so getting that all into one place so that you have just the SEIU-related tweets. Right, you have the conversation that's going on in social media. Yeah. At a moment. Yes. Um, so that's one thing I'm working on. Uh, What'd you call it? It's Twerk. Twerk. Um, it's actually a program created by Documenting the Now, which is a group that does a lot of this difficult work of figuring out ways to document social activism as it is currently happening. Their work is incredible. They... They really do. Uh, they care about people. Right. And that's where they're coming from. They care about these underrepresented, marginalized people who are actively doing the hard work. So that's one of them. I have a project migrating photo CDs right now. That's right. Face uh, recognition. A little face recognition. Just using photo that comes on my computer. I just dragged all these photos into that and it'll do like very basic face recognition so I can compile photos of one person quickly without me having to search through so many. I mean, mm -hmm. one photo CD can have 300 to 500 photos on it. And when you're trying to sift through that to find one face, that's it can be difficult. Yep. Uh, I pulled scans that the previous SEIU archivist had done of some of the photos. Uh, and it actually will recognize those too. 
it will still take the face facial recognition right. and apply it to uh, photos from like 30 years ago, which might be a bigger project that I end up doing just so I can. But make... worthwhile. That's yeah. a great one. I'm working on uh, Omeka S, which is a. What's Omeka? Uh, it's a platform for building websites. Um, so I'm also looking at different softwares that link up to Omeka. One of them, you can like take photos and upload them into this software and it'll automatically upload them into Omeka with all of the information that you've written down in that program, which makes things a lot easier. Um, yeah, I like the mapping thing in Omeka. Mm-hmm. Um, when I started playing around with it, when it first came out, I was trying to put various collective bargaining issues mm-hmm. and map it so you can see Cleveland did stuff, Cincinnati, LA. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing research because they go like, whoa, these two, three different school districts were doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. What is that link? What is that communication? Dig deeper into the collections, stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I, I like the GPS stuff. That's fun. Yeah. Well, it's figuring out, again, how to take collections that are many, many linear feet. So there are like a lot of boxes and figure out a way to make them more interactive in a way that people are used to now, because, you know, as modern technology continues, we have to figure out ways to present material in in more interactive ways, I think. Mm-hmm. Because that's everybody's looking at their phone for their information. Mm-hmm. So we have to make it attractive. Yeah. Are we going to Snapchat our uh, collections? I don't think so. All right. Never mind. Instagram, maybe. Well, we're doing Instagram already. Yeah. Yeah. You just took a little trip, too. I did. Yeah. That's always a unique thing here. We Our donors do encourage uh, communication. Mm-hmm. So SEIU, AFSME, AFT, SWE. But they encourage us to be part of their their, their moments now. Mm-hmm. So you went to SEIU headquarters. Yes. And what did you guys talk about? Uh, we talked about the upcoming 2020 convention. Right. Um, so what are we going to focus on particularly in regard to uh, SEIU history? But how are we going to take that history and have it empower people to see what their potential is for the future. Right. So you're you're organizing the past for the future. Mm-hmm. Right. That's that's basically our message always here. I don't know. I think a lot of the time people think of archives as we maintain stuff from the past, which is true because, I mean, every minute that goes by is technically the past. But I would like people to see archives as archiving stuff also from like five years, two years ago. It, it's not just stuff from the 1950s. We we want to continue getting this stuff. The hard thing though is, and I agree with you, mm-hmm. the hard thing is, and as you know, is like when we talk to organizers, uh, local presidents, mm-hmm. those in the now, those who are doing these activities, these activists, they're just doing their jobs. Mm-hmm. So they don't see it right. as history. Whereas we see it and we're trying to convince them constantly. It's like, no, what you're doing now is very important from, for 10 years down the line for well, that future member, for that maybe, future organizer. Maybe that's on archivists who work with labor unions to be uh, to advocate more and to say what you are doing is important. I know that you are just doing your job, but that's also part of what is creating the story. Right. You're you're creating a narrative just by saying, well, I'm not doing anything special. This is just my job. Not everybody is doing your job. Many people could be doing this job, but they aren't. You picked this for a reason, or you're doing this for a reason. The point is, you're working for something. Well, that's what I, I think. One reason 
one of the reasons that our donors who support our positions want us there mm-hmm. because we are playing an active role to preserve not only their history, but to preserve their their, their current history mm-hmm. and to make sure that they understand that we are here in the fight with them. Mm-hmm. And we understand that. And that's why we are talking to the directors, the organizers, the rank and file, saying what you're doing is very important right now. That sign you just made, I want that. Because mm-hmm. that is so cool for 10 years down the line. That website, I want that. Yeah. And, they, and don't ask. We just want it. I just want it. <laughs> so what is your favorite part of your job here at the Ruther Library? As an anthropologist, as I said, I'm really interested in the way that people are affected by the society and culture around them. And one way that you can get evidence of that is in documentation, whether that's photographs, Twitter, uh, email. I mean, formerly it was just like letter correspondence, but of course this is 2019. Uh, So like email correspondence, things like that. Those all inform and create a snapshot of what is happening what are the issues so i guess my favorite part about archiving in general is that we are helping create these snapshots so that people can understand multiple sides of an issue what i think is most important particularly in this position is getting that snapshot of people who are often taken for granted and what what unions are trying to protect them so figuring out who's protecting your marginalized communities, who's working to make sure that their voices are heard and that their interests are being pushed forward. Is that a good? I thought you say the donuts, but that's great. <laughs> we don't get donuts too often. No, that's, that's why it's special. The cake. Monthly cakes. Monthly cakes. Yes. Is my favorite part of this job. <laughs> And when you throw pennies at me. I do not. <laughs> that's right, you don't. No, that's that's, that's you, job harassment. You don't. I would never do. I'd... And on that note, goodbye. Tales from the Ruther Library is a production of the Walter P. Ruther Library of Labor and Urban Affairs at Wayne State University, coming to you from the heart of the Cultural Center of Detroit, Michigan. The producers of Tales from the Ruther Library are Dan Glogner and Troy Eller-English. Special assistance from the Ruther Podcast Collective, including Bart Bilmer, Elizabeth Clemens, Megan Courtney, and Paul Neerink. Of course, this podcast could not be done without the research and the support of the entire Ruther Library staff. To learn more about the Ruther Library, or if you have any questions, please visit our website at www.ruther.wayne.edu. Thanks for listening. Say goodbye, Dan. Goodbye, Dan. (laughs) This time we're talking to Sarah Leibowitz? No. Leibowitz. Lebovitz. It's Lebovitz? It's Lebovitz. I thought it was Leibowitz. It's Leb... You sure? I am positive. That's all we want is this sound bite. We don't want you rambling on forever and ever talking you about You picked the wrong person. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs>
Do you have any questions for Dan? Why are you the way that you... I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, I don't think I have any burning questions. Okay, nothing burning. No pun intended. We have medicines for that. <laughs> Where's the pun in that? There's no pun. It's just more of a... Lots of jokes. Wink. You gotta say it, because it's a microphone. You have to go wink, wink. Wink, wink. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, <laughs> could you please tell me what what's my job supposed to be? Exactly. 